Good afternoon. Amen. And that's okay. I'll start off by saying <clears throat> Happy Father's Day to you guys, to those fathers out there. Um, man, I don't know about you guys, but all throughout worship, I kept hearing, and even before then, I kept hearing the same word over and over faithful, faithful, faithful. You know, my dad's passed away, he passed away in 09. And not every one of us have a good father. Not a very good um, experience, some of us. Some of us had really good fathers. But man, I'm sitting there thinking, we have a father that's faithful. Faithful. And if you have God that is faithful for you, who could be even any more than that? If God's faithful for you in the fire, in the flood, the good times, the bad times, he's not flaking out on you. If you've ever had a dad to flake out, if you've ever had a dad to pass away, they're gone. They're not here with you. But man, he's faithful, faithful forever, perfect in love. Man, that's not even the sermon, but I'll sit down now. Man, that's good. Let me get my mind right. For, we have a lot of visitors today. So we've been in Ephesians for quite a while. Um, if you ask anyone that goes to church here, we've been in Ephesians. And, and that's okay because you can't exhaust it. We could start all over and have totally different sermons. So you can't exhaust God because he's faithful forever. He's uh, inexhaustible. He's sovereign. He is endless. He is the beginning and the end. Uh, you can't find the end of that. But to give you a little background, the Ephesians were a rough bunch of people. Uh, the Ephesians were involved in witchcraft and idolatry and nationalism and every such thing that they could possibly be involved in. Um, and the gospel came to them. The gospel of Jesus Christ came to them and changed their life. It changed their heart. It changed their mind frame. Um, everything so much so that they took all of their magic books and they threw them into the fire in the middle of the city. They were getting rid of their whole old, the old life they used to live. They're getting rid of that. Paul is reminding them in this passage that we've been going through in chapter four of putting off that old man and putting on the new self. Put take off that old self. Put on the new self. And we've been going through the different things that Paul is uh, going through. Different uh, examples of things that we need to take off and how we should take those things off and what to put on as those new believers. So um, if you will, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to start reading in, uh, in verse 19 and read through 28. If you're willing and able, go ahead and stand with us as we read God's Word together. Chapter 4, starting in verse 19, and we'll read through 28 today. Now, Paul's talking about the people who are still remaining unsaved, the Gentiles who haven't been changed by the gospel. And he says in verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, every kind. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus he says, to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 
Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, or or, uh, wrath is what the word there is. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief steal, or let the leaf, uh, the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let's pray. Well, Father, I pray that you would fill me with your Spirit, fill the every listener here. Fill them with your spirit. Open up our eyes, open up our ears that we would hear what you would have for us today, including myself. Even as I'm speaking, Lord, teach us what we need to know, what you want us to know through Paul here, through this letter to the Ephesians. Lord, let it sink deeply into our hearts this Father's Day and every day hereafter. Let us take this with us as we walk with you, as we learn more about you. Uh, Lord, keep me and my flesh low and let your spirit be completely strong and speaking through me today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So as we were saying, we just read this other passage. I'll give you a little background from last week, catch you up. Um, we have a few more people here this week and more people back in town and such. So that's, we'll catch you up a little bit. Last week, we, we preached on resisting wrath. Resisting wrath. We talked about being angry with God. Sometimes we get angry with God. Sometimes we get angry with people, but we do get angry at times. Um, sometimes we have sinful anger. We talked about sin, being sinful in your anger towards a person that is meaning to hurt them. And then sometimes you have uh, your anger is not sinning, a, a, a more of a righteous anger. We talked about being careful how you go to bed, and we weren't talking about stubbing your toe. Remember we talked about that? We were talking about not going to bed with rage and anger and um, wrath in your heart because you'll wake up with that anger and wrath in your heart and it sits there and it germinates probably all through the night and you probably wake up worse than you even were before you went to bed. But being careful how you go to bed with your anger and wrath, um, keeping it in its place. Um, we talked about not not welcoming the enemy by giving him a parking place with his name on it. Um, when it talks about get not, not giving opportunity to the devil, that was basically saying you're giving him a parking space. Here, here's your parking space with your name on it, Satan. You are welcome here. You can park here. You can talk to me all day long. You can tell me whatever you want to tell me. I'm feeling angry. Feed it, please. That's what you're doing. That's what it says. He says, do not give opportunity to the devil. Don't give him a parking place with his name on it. And ultimately, we said uh, to fight this office, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. And I'll even tell you, I was fighting it myself. Whenever you hear me preaching stuff up here, and I tell you I'm the worst sinner, I'm not lying to you. Uh, when you see me and Chuck up here and we're preaching, we're not perfect. Uh, we are not pristine. We're not any of those things. So it wasn't anything outrageous. It was a heart thing. And you know, the Lord said, here, have a taste of it. Go ahead and apply your sermon three quarters of the way through the week. And I had to. So it was, it was good. It's good for me. I'm a brother uh, to you just as you're brothers and sisters to me. So um, I do appreciate that. But Lord is working it in me. Uh, I'm not usually a person that has 
trouble with anger, but the Lord wanted me to, to deal with it that this, this week. So I had to apply that. I had to remind myself of everything that I'd said. And um, the reason I said it to begin with is because I dealt with it before. So just know that I'm being real with you. So um, we'll move on into what we're talking about today. Okay, look at verse 28 here. That's where we're going to begin. In verse 28, read that with me here. It's, uh, it says, let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The first point today is put off self-centeredness. Put off self-centeredness. He says, let the thief no longer steal. That's pretty straightforward. I mean, we know that stealing's wrong, right? We do understand that, even though sometimes that may be somebody's struggle. They're sitting there stealing, they're uh, thieving, they're taking things that don't belong to them. We all know that that is wrong. That is absolutely one of the Ten Commandments. If you know any of the Ten Commandments, that is one of them. Thou shalt not steal. Pretty plain and pretty straightforward. So why do people steal? We want to talk about that. We want to, why do people steal? What is the motive behind that? What is the root cause of someone who would steal? What is the heart condition behind it? What is the root of it all? You you can almost probably guess one of my answers. Pride. It's going to be pride. Thinking about yourself. What I can do for myself. Let's move on to the next. Covetousness. You covet what you're stealing. If you didn't covet, you didn't want that thing that you don't have you wouldn't steal it. You wouldn't just steal it. You, you want that. You want something that you don't have or you want more of what you already have so you're stealing. You covet that thing. Sometimes it's rooted in laziness. You'd rather not work for the thing that you want so you'd rather just take it. But I would say the main root of having a thieving heart or a, a heart that steals or one that wants to take things from others is self-centeredness. And that's what we want to hit today, not to be self-centered in this point here. You got to think, anytime you're, you're wanting to steal something from somebody else, you're wanting, it's all about you. I want to do what I want to do. I want to get what I want to have. I want to have more of what I want, and I want it now. That's what I want. That is self-centeredness. I was sitting there last night and I was sitting like writing down the notes and such and it made me think and I've thought about this so many times. If any of you work out in the workplace, which I still work out in the workplace, you ever met these people who work hard at not working at all? You ever met someone like that? Man, y'all are laughing. Y'all must know someone. Hopefully it's not you, but if it has been, there's grace here, but you think about those people, they work so hard at not working. They work harder at getting out of work than they do at the job that they should be doing. And it's almost like they're working harder than they would have if they were just doing their job. You ever met those type of people? Yes. Charles has. <laughs> and I sit there, even when I, I see that happening, I'm sitting there thinking, if they would put as much energy into actually working as they do getting out of the work, they'd be the hardest working person you know. But some, for some reason, they want to get out of work because they just don't like the idea of work. But they don't realize that they're working hard at getting out of it. So their working hard is misplaced. Like we just said, the root of stealing is that we want 
what we want when we want it now. And that's why you would steal. That's why you would want to get out of those things. It's self-centeredness. What can I get for myself? And that being Father's Day, that's the contrast we want to bring. You don't want to be a self-centered father. You want to be a faithful father. You want to be a faithful father figure if you're not a father. You want to be that faithful brother. You want to be that faithful sister. This is even for the ladies. It doesn't have to be just the men. We don't need to be self-centered types of people. Look, always looking out for what we can do or working hard at getting out of working. Self-centeredness. The more that this mindset sinks into us, the less and less we care or love for others. How many of you have known that? How many of you have ever been in a self-centered mindset? I have. You get in that mindset, do you think about anyone else? No, you don't realize that you've been thinking about your own, only yourself until after you're coming out of it. You're like, man, I've been closed-minded. I've been tunnel vision. All I see is what I want. And all these people have had, they fell by the wayside. They needed this. They needed that. I didn't care. I was just doing what I wanted to do. Selfish and self-centeredness. It's the opposite of what Christ has called us to. And that's part of the point that Paul is making here. Put off the self-centeredness. Put off the stealing mindset. Put off the selfish that still tries to creep up into your heart, the living the way you want to live. You put that off. Put it, put it off and put on selflessness is what he's wanting to tell us. Take off self-centeredness and put on selflessness. Holy Spirit through Paul is telling us to take it off. Take it off. Because you know these Ephesians, they lived the way they wanted to live for so long. It was ingrained in them. And you know that how it creeps up in you. When you get saved, everything doesn't just fall off. You have to put it off. Paul wouldn't be telling us to put it off if it weren't still on us to a degree. It doesn't just, you got saved and everything's perfect. You know, this was creeping up into the Ephesians' life. They still wanted to be self-centered, self-seeking, and wanting to get what they wanted for themselves. And he's telling them, put that off. Put, put that lifestyle off. The one that's still, let them no longer steal. And let them no longer be thinking only of themselves. But Holy Spirit through Paul is telling us to take it off. Take off the old self that is all about me and what I want for myself. And put on the new self that cares more for others than what you desire. The new self cares more for what others need and what they want. It thinks of others first. You remember that from the love sermon, love from humility. You think of others before you do yourself. Yeah, of course you think about yourself. You take care of yourself. You love, uh, you love your neighbor as yourself. Of course you love yourself, but you love your neighbor in that same way, and you think of them first. Put that on. One thing I want to, you've heard me say it before, if you've talked to me in person, that you have priorities in your life. Certain priorities of how to take care of, uh, you know, yourself, take care of others. And I think sometimes we get those out of whack. We get those out of place. Does, does God call us to do ministry? Yes. He does call you to do ministry. He calls you to love one another. He calls you to care for one another. He calls you to do things for one another. Not just to do the things, but because you love and care for the people. Yes, he calls you to ministry. Yes, emphatically, yes, he calls you to ministry. It may not be standing in a pulpit preaching. It, it may be you just going to work every day and working hard and you doing that and, get, and, and giving your testimony about what Christ has done in your life through the gospel. But God, God does call us to ministry. 
not just coming to church and doing ministry, not just meeting in the middle of the week to do ministry, not just having a Bible study here or there to do ministry. We need to broaden our mindsets of what we consider to be ministry because I think so many times we get tunnel vision on that too and we think, oh, ministry has to look like this, 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 and this. It has to be a part of the church. It has to be doing, uh, it has to be an, an official event. But we need to have priorities whenever we're looking at ministry in general. And this is the way I, I look at my priorities and I do believe it is, it is correct. I think it's biblically correct. Number one, should, your number one priority should be God. That's number one. Your, 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 your relationship with God, what he wants you to do in obedience and loving him, that's number one. You do that. Everything else falls in place. Number two is not your ministry. It's not everyone else. It's your husband or your wife if you have one. If you have a husband or a wife, that is number two. Comes right after. Hey, we're getting to the single. We're coming. I ain't leaving you hanging. It's very important. Very important. If you are married, number two is your husband or your wife. You take care of that person. It's not your ministry. It's your husband or your wife. After that, if you have children, you take care of your children. You teach them the gospel. You give them the gospel. You take time with them. And then, number four, you have other ministry that you do. And so many times I think people put priority on the things, oh, I've got to do this at church, I've got to do that at church. Well, you guys have, especially the interns, you know that I'm not showing up to everything, and if I'm not showing up to everything, it's because I'm with my family, and I don't apologize for that. I mean, I love you to death, but I have a responsibility. I have a responsibility for my family. There's too many times that pastors leave their kids in the dust. And I constantly feel like that, even though I don't think so. I think I'm fighting it fairly well. But a lot of times the, parent, the pastors will leave their kids in the dust, their wives in the dust. They never spend time with them because they're always at church because they feel guilty. That's out of order. It's totally out of order. It's totally out of order. God, your husband or wife, children, and then other ministry. Now you get to singleness. Here's where, hey, if you're single, this is, it's your time. It's your time. What does your priority list look like if you're single? You have God. Now, do you have a number two? No, you don't have a husband or wife. You don't have that. Do you have children? Most times not. You don't have that. Then what do you go to? Other ministry. It's straight. It, singleness skips right to outward ministry. It goes straight to that. Now, I'm not saying one is better than the other. They're both a blessing. You have a blessing in singleness, and you have a blessing in marriage. Now, which route are you, is God, what, which one does he have for you? It's not you need to pit them against one another. They're both a blessing. What, what has God laid out for you? Paul makes that case very clear in 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7, singleness and he talks about that. He talks about it's better to marry than to burn with passion. We know what, I mean, we know that, that, that is an answer for that symptom. But then Paul says this in 7.17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. And then he says this. This is my rule in all the churches. So 
So he's basically saying if you're living a single life, there's nothing in between you and God and serving one another and being selfless in that manner. But if you're married, then you have a family to take care of. You take care of that family. Then you do, you do ministry. But he's telling them, don't sit there and look at one, of the, uh, one another and think you wish you had the other. Don't sit there and be married and say, oh, I wish I were single. I could do this, this. And, well, no, that's where God has you. You're married, and this is what you do, and this is what you take care of. Don't look in your singleness and look at the married people and say, man, I wish I, I wish I were married. I just need to be married. Because if I were married, it would fix this and fix that and fix. I, I would be in a different place. Well, no, that's not true either because God has you right now in singleness for a reason to do ministry. There's, there's other things he doesn't want you to have to take care of. He wants you to just do ministry at the time. Take care of those things during this season. So don't allow the enemy to tempt the flesh with discontentment. Is that not what he always does? It goes all the way back to the garden. Discontent. Did God really say you shouldn't eat the fruit? Did he say that you couldn't eat of every tree? He's working up that discontentment. They were, they were fine, living their life in, in the garden. And then he, he, he comes to them with a discontentment. He's holding something back from you. You should have this. You deserve this. You really need this. To the married people, oh, I really, you know, you slip off and, oh, I should be, I should be single. I wouldn't have to deal with this. I, I don't feel that way. I'm not expressing something. I'm just saying that's the temptation to some. If I didn't have this, I could go do this and that and this and that. That's not true. That discontentment. To the single people, oh, if I were only married, I could accomplish so much more. No, it's just a different setting. Don't let the enemy come to you and and tempt your flesh with discontentment. God is not, we said this last week, that God is always on time. He's never late. He's always on schedule. He's just not on your schedule. He's not on my schedule. And that's what frustrates us. And that can be frustrating in your singleness that, oh, I'm not married yet. Oh, I should have already been married by now. I should have already had kids. Well, are you telling me God is wrong? God is not wrong in your singleness. He's absolutely not wrong. Or I could have accomplished this or that if I had not gotten married at this time or, or, or whatever it may be. That's, that's wrong because God has you married right now. And that's where he wants you. So I'll say that again. Paul says in 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Let's not be people like the thief who are self-consumed, covetousness, or covetous, prideful, and lazy. Let us not be thinking only of ourselves. Let us trust God with the situations. Let us look outwardly Put off self-centeredness. Number two, put on honest work. Let's read that in, in verse 28 there. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. I like the way you put that there, and I noticed that early this morning. Let him do work with his own hands. Well, what does the thief do? He's, he takes everything from the person that earned it with their hands. So Paul is telling them, let the thief no longer steal from the people who earned it from, with their hands, but let them labor with their own hands and get the things that they need to get with honest work. 
So let's not be like the thief working hard at getting out of honest work. But Paul says, rather, let him labor. Let us labor. That word there, I want to give you the definition to get kind of expanded a little bit for you. That word labor there is to grow weary. How many of you have worked so hard that you feel weary? You're tired. Do you work like that during the week? I work like that during the week. I come home and I'm like knocked out. If I sit down, it's over. The game is over. Y'all know what I'm talking about. If you, say, if you have things to do after work, you better just keep on moving. Because if you don't keep moving, you're gone. And next thing you know, you're almost missing supper. Am I, that, is that real? That's, okay, that's real. He's saying, rather let them labor. The person who's been stealing from other people, the one who's working so hard of getting out of work, says, let them labor to grow weary, tired, exhausted, with toil or burdens or grief, to labor with wearisome effort, to toil of bodily labor. It sounds like Paul is, he's a fan of working hard. He was a tent maker while he was a pastor. He's a fan of working hard, doing hard work. So if he's a man that is a pastor and he's building tents and such, and he's doing it, when he sees someone stealing, it probably gets under his skin a little bit. How many of you have worked real hard and then you know someone that's just stealing all the way through their life? It, is, it gets under your skin a little bit, right? Because, you know, you're working hard to earn the things to provide for your family and then someone's just taking what they want. Paul is saying, don't let them, don't be that way anymore. Don't be self-centered. Let them, let those people who used to live that life, who used to be dishonest to everyone, who used to be taking everything that they earned and worked hard for, and let them labor now. And it's not a, it's not a disgruntled thing. He's not saying, let them go to work. No, he's just saying, no, let them do honest work now. They'll love it. They'll love earning the things for themselves. They'll love being able to provide for themselves and provide for their family and their friends. They'll love that. It's, it's not that kind of mindset. He's like, yeah, get them, get them back. It wasn't that at all. He said, let them work. Let them grow weary. And so these people were living a life of thieving and, and, and stealing, and they were working hard at doing that. He's like, let them sweat at doing something honest now. Take off the dishonesty and let them put on the honest work now. When I was thinking, I was thinking about the people who are dishonest, you know, the ones who work hard at getting out of work, it made me think of the word, we're going to give you some words here, like, you may or may not have heard him educate you a little bit. Some of you, some of you know what I'm talking about because I grew up right down the street in, in Poe Mill, grew up downtown. You see all these people all over the place. But the word is hustlers. You got hustlers that are out in the street. They're out, what are they out there doing? They're working to pull the wool over your eyes to make money off of your ignorance. Hustlers. Those hustlers. Work incredibly hard at, at working you out of your hard-earned money so they don't have to. Those are the people that, I'm, that are the people who used to steal. He's telling those people, don't do that any longer. Let them do honest work. The subject came up, I guess, a few weeks ago at Discipleship Group. So we have some interesting conversations at our Discipleship Group. I don't know about your Discipleship Group. I'm not saying we're better than yours. I'm just saying we have some interesting conversations um, one of the other wor- words would be to be hoodwinked. Have you, to be hoodwinked. To be bamboozled. Whenever you're being duped. 
Now, I can get away with that because these are not cuss words or deemed by as cuss words as anyone else would say. So I can get away with that, saying that here. Chuck. (laughs) 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 To be hustlers, to be hoodwinked, to be duped, basically, to be bamboozled. And we found one that I had never heard of in my entire life. I had never heard of this. Some of, if you've heard of this, come talk to me afterward. But it was called Sent Up the Garden's Path. Dee thinks it's funny. I've never heard that in my entire life. Have, has anyone here heard that before? To be sent up the garden's path. All I know is that I don't want to be sent up the garden's path in this context because this doesn't sound like a good idea. Somebody came to me and said, you watch out for those people. They're going to send you up the garden path. I'm going to be looking for them. Because I, I don't know what's coming. But those were, that was the life that these thieves were living. You saw, that, you saw them coming, these Ephesians who used to live their life of stealing. You'd say, he's not about to hoodwink me. He's not about to bamboozle me. And there he comes. I'll, yeah, you go the other way. I don't want that happening to me. He's going to send me up the garden's path. And I'm not going. But he's saying they're not going to live that life anymore. Don't, he's saying put that off. Put that lifestyle off. The life you used to live of the hoodwinkery. <laughs> put that off. Put that life off. You're not living that anymore. He's saying, let them go and work honest work. Let them go work honest work. Holy Spirit is telling us through Paul that we need to put off the hustling thievery. And it even happens in the workplace. You know, people stealing time, not doing anything. You know that. You know what I'm talking about. Guys, don't act like, you know what I'm talking about. Stealing the time, not working at all. We need to put off the hustling thievery. Self-centered mindset of deception. This, this permeates all of your life. It's not just at work. It's talking about the whole mindset of being self-centered. He's saying take that off. Because if people are doing that at work or doing that in whatever situation, it's self-centered. It's like I don't want to work. I'm going I'm to work hard at getting out of this. So I'm, I'm, he's saying, put that off, that mindset of deception, to get yourself into a better situation. Put that off. Just leave it to the side. Stop working hard at taking from people. Selfishly is what Paul is saying. Begin to work hard at honest work. Now, what is honest work? I think first what I want to say is, you know, I think a lot of people have the mindset that work is a product of the fall. That work came because we sinned. And so, man, I can't wait to get to heaven. We won't have to work anymore. Well, that is a falsehood that we're putting off as well. That was a couple of sermons back. That is a falsehood that we're putting away. Because in the new kingdom, it is a city. We have jobs. I'll go visit whenever you're making pound cake because you're working on a pound cake, and I'm going to partake in that. Um, We're going to have jobs that we're doing. We'll have times of worship. We'll enjoy it all. It is work, and we will love it. 
Where do I get that from? Well, work came before the fall. God, as a good father, planted the garden in Eden. Remember that. Go back and read that. He planted the garden in Eden. He's the one that did it himself. He showed him this is what it looks like to plant a garden. God went and planted the garden. And then he said, Adam, you come take care of it. You do what I just did. And you take care of everything that I just did. I planted all this garden. You keep it up. You tend to it. Working taking care of those things. Now, how do we do honest work? We work at taking care of that priority list that I was talking about. If you're single, you don't have as much on that list. You take care of other people. You take care of yourself and you take care of others. If if you're married and you have a family, you take care of this between you and God, your wife or husband, your children, and then ministry. You take care of those things. You tend those things because that's what God has planted in your life. He's either planted singleness in this season or he's planted being married and have family in this season. So you take care of the garden he's planted in you. That's what he, that is work. Work didn't come from the fall. What it is is our laziness is a product of the fall. And I'm saying that because you know, I'm a man and you have to work out at laziness when you're a kid. You know, you're a little kid, you don't want to work. You know, go, go do this. I don't want to go do that. You have to learn how to work. You have to learn how to do those things. So we need to have honest work at taking care of that biblical priority list. And we need to have honest work at working to the glory of God. Because a lot of times I think we look at all of our work and we just think, oh, it's just work. Well, everything we need to be doing should be done to the glory of God. Everything that we're doing, excluding sin, sin cannot be done to the glory of God. That is the opposite of such but work to the glory of God. I want to read these passages here. Ecclesiastes 9.10. Solomon says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Whatever job you have, whatever thing you're doing for someone, do it Do it with your might. Do it with your strength. Don't just halfway do it. Well, well I'll help you out. Yeah. That's about all I got for you. I'm going to the house. Now, if you say you're going to help somebody, you help them. And then you make sure, do you need anything else? 2 Thessalonians 3.10 Paul gives this command. This kind of gives you an insight of what he thinks about working, about people that are working hard or doing honest work. He says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. He's saying that about the people among the people of God. If they're not willing to work and do their, their share, you're not getting the free foods. You're not getting the, the help if you're not willing to work in some capacity. And that, that, you know, it's a broad thing. It's not, I know it's people have physical limitations, so don't, you know, don't, don't go down that. Don't go up the garden's path with me on that. Because we all understand that what people can do and what they can't do. Let's, let's be real. We know you can do a little more than what you say you can do or you can't do. You know, let's, let's be honest. Let's put away falsehood. Ecclesiastes 2.24 Solomon, again, it says, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. 
enjoyment in his toil, enjoyment in his work. He said, there is, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. The things that you find your hand doing, find enjoyment in those things. And this is what he says right after. This also I saw is from the hand of God. To enjoy the thing that you have in front of you. To enjoy the work that he's given you. Whether that be your family, your friends, your workplace, whatever that thing is. Find enjoyment in it. Then he says in Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Whatever you do. He says, whatever you do. Not just some things. Not this or that. He's saying, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You know, that's hard whenever you're at a workplace full of sinful men. And you know how they are. And you're like, well, I don't need to, I don't want to do that. They don't deserve me doing that because they don't work that way. Well, he's saying don't have that mindset in you. You're not working for them. You're working for the Lord. Ministry is a lot bigger than what we like to think it is. Your ministry working at, at your workplace is working as unto the Lord, to the glory of God. And that's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. It's hard. Especially when you see sinful men and women around you all the time. Yeah, it's hard. But you get that mindset of practicing the presence of God and working for Him. He says, As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're not getting any bigger inheritance from these men and women than you are getting from the King. You... It doesn't compare. You're getting a paycheck. You're getting them talking down to you half the time, depending on what kind of person you have. Sometimes you have a good supervisor, and they're encouraging. Wonderful. Great. Awesome. I've had all the above. But it says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. I would much rather have his inheritance. Let us work as we're working unto the Lord, to the glory of God. You are serving the Lord Christ is what he's saying. So men on Father's Day, let's have this mindset. Women, let's be hard workers. Let's work every, everything that we're doing, do it as unto the Lord. So Paul is saying, put off self-centeredness. Put on selfless, honest, hard work in everything we put our hand to do to the glory of God so that, number three, we have something to share. So we have something to share. Read that verse again, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The exact alternative to stealing and being self-centered and self-seeking is to provide for yourself Provide for your family. Provide for anyone in genuine need. You provide for yourself. Yeah, you need a means to get to work. You need to work so you can eat and pay for your necessities and sometimes your wants, as God allows. If you aren't provided for, you cannot provide for others. Pretty simple. If you don't have something that you're providing for yourself, then how are you going to, if you have nothing to give, what, I mean, what are you going to give? You have to provide for yourself. Provide for your family. Your family is just that. Yours. It's your family. Your immediate family are your responsibility. And that priority is less sharp 
as you move out of that circle concerning family. Your immediate family, you take care of them. You take care of them. Whatever they have need, you take care of them. You make sure they have what they need. And you provide for anyone in genuine need. I say add the word genuine there because as Americans, I think we think we have a lot of needs that are not really needs. A lot of them are wants. But you provide for anyone that is in genuine need. Be such a hard worker and a good steward of everything God would have you do and care for that you are able to provide for those who genuinely need help. That means you take care of your career, your finances, you take care of your cars, your houses, your land, your animals. If you don't take care of your animals, let's say we have chickens at our house. If we don't take care of our chickens, we don't have eggs. If we don't, if we don't take care of our chickens, we don't have a surplus of eggs to give to other people if they need eggs. So see, it's, it's even in the smaller things. Taking care of your body or your health, your health that you would have influence over that you can do something about. All these things are a testimony to what God is doing in our lives, but it does not stop there. We have been born again by a mighty Savior. Our lives have been changed by a mighty Savior, by a faithful Father, and that is the world's biggest need. The wrath of God is abiding on most people around us. That is the greatest need. Yes, we fulfill immediate physical needs. Yeah, we take care of the things that you have going on. You have, you're struggling with your bills. Okay, I understand you have a flat tire. Man, I'm there. We'll change it. But your body will die. And their soul will continue somewhere. That's the biggest need we all have. Without putting off the old self that is self-centered and self-seeking, we will lose all of the things we have mentioned today. We'll lose all those things. We'll be so focused on ourselves, so tunnel vision. We'll miss out on all those things. We must put off the old self and put on the new self that loves God and loves our neighbors as ourselves. So as we're closing... Let's go ahead and close our eyes and bow our heads. And I want to ask some things. I want you to think about these things and imagine what it would be like. What would our lives look like if everything we found ourselves doing, we did to the glory of God? How would you feel about the things that you're doing, that you're involved in, if you did them to the glory of God? Everything whether you're sitting down at a meal with brothers and sisters or the lost, what if you did that to the glory of God? What would it look like if we were working for and with Him, with Jesus? What if we worked hard like Christ in everything we do? I think many times we forget Jesus was a carpenter. That's hard work. What if we worked hard like Christ? If Christ didn't work hard for us, we would be lost. 
How would it affect those around us when we share the gospel? If we lived a selfless life of hard, honest work, the gospel genuinely affects all of our life, every aspect of our life. Let it affect those around you in every area of theirs in gospel word, in gospel deed, and in gospel love.